a Highline podcast. We live in a complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. Well, welcome back to the Whiskey Bench. Uh, we're back on that remote grind. feels so mm. weird now that we made two fantastic episodes together. Yeah, my room has a Henning-shaped void in it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> That makes it sound like I entered like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> hey, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think was the case. I didn't leave a hole in your wall or anything. So No, no, you're right. Never mind. But yeah, but we we're back you. on this. Yeah. We're back on the remote grind. I mean, this is normal, if anything can be called normal, but it was such a delight to sit with you guys, especially that delicious aviation we had last week. Mm. Come on. Mm -hmm. So I am back. I just, I poured the last few drops of my Lagavulin 16 into a rocks glass tonight. And uh, I can't get the mental image. I can't get the memory of Kat's face when she sipped Lagavulin (laughs) for the first time (laughs) out of my head. That was, that was delightful. I'm so glad I could introduce you to this peaty, smoky, (laughs) uh yeah this this good good stuff it's so good it's so intense feel the burn wait till we start doing some scotch cocktails yeah we should it's a dynamic bev yeah dynamic bev you smell it then you burns your lips then it's like filling your mouth then it yep you feel it go all you feel your whole body digest it i feel like it it has a it has an outsized presence. It's yeah. an embodied experience. Absolutely. It's like sipping. It's like sipping whiskey and smoking a cigar, but all in one. So, oh, mm, that no. is something we did not do while I was there. Um, that is true. We did missed not opportunity. We'll come to you next. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Dope. Torna and I did go shooting the day after, though. Um, oh yeah, how was that? That's right. And. I, I still feel like I'm living off the, the satisfying glow of the target practice we did with the handgun. Yes. Especially shooting the steel, those hexagons, Torna. Yep. I think we put the video on Instagram, but oh my god, We gosh. definitely did. But it felt yes, so good. something extremely satisfying about hitting steel. Torna educated me on just gun safety, gun parts, gun care. And just like the basic stance, grip, all that. I'm so glad I did that. I completely understand why people get, A, addicted to the smell of gunpowder. Ah, yes, um, it is a nice smell. It does, <laughs> it does really smell nice. I've really enjoyed it. But also, like, of course it becomes a sport. It's so much fun. It's so good. So that was one of those, I'm really glad I, like, dove into that experience in kind mm-hmm. of an immersive way. Um. Yeah, because before then, I mean, Torno was there when I fought, shot my first gun, but that was literally probably 10 years ago at this point. So Yeah, definitely it was. Maybe he got to yeah. be 
you got to be part of this. And I'm glad I did that, especially after doing an episode of Ravel and an episode of Whiskey Bench about guns. Like, mm-hmm. it's good to have experience with what I'm trying to critique, maybe is the wrong word for it, but like what I'm trying to think about in a serious way. Yeah, making sense of it and understanding it and that's, being more familiar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did when you guys went shooting, did Torna have you just like shoot one on your own instinctively or did he give you instruction on how to hold it and stand? Oh, no, he, he gave me the full tour. Um, okay. He showed me what to look for to make sure like there wasn't one in the chamber. He had me load the magazines myself. What else? Uh, all sorts of like uh, grip tutorial first. Mm-hmm. And then like even the way Torna, you showed me what the rough equivalent of the uh, the kick would be. Just by p- pulling it back. Yes. So we did dry firing where we would hold the gun without any ammunition in it and pull the trigger till it clicked. And then I would rack the bolt back while it was in his hand. Yeah. And, oh, and, that's a good And we nice, just did yeah. dry firing for a while and then just gave him the good. He had a good stance, though. I remember you were standing there and uh, a good way to do it is once you kind of get into a position is to push somebody. You're pretty. You've got a nice stance, Aww. so that was that was pretty easy. So thank you, man. Solid I, as a rock. I'm the Kool Aid. <laughs> so we've established I ask, this. I ask because um, one of I used to go shooting with my ex brother in law, and he wasn't a very good teacher. Um, mm. Among other things, he wasn't particularly good at. And um, he, I would uh, no, don't worry, I won't. I'm not going to go off on a rant about that. <laughs> I just um, hey, nice. <laughs> Oh, no. But my point is just that um, I never really got very good instruction for a long time on like how to stand and how to properly hold a gun. And the recoil was kind of a nightmare. And I preferred shooting like rifles or AR-15s or something I could rest on my shoulder they're and way, I'm scared of handguns. They're way better, easier to shoot than, sure. than handguns. Yeah. yeah. So the handgun was always really intimidating to me. And one day we we're out of range somewhere outside of Boise, Idaho. And I was struggling and he wasn't helping very much. And my this woman was there, this cowgirl, and she turns out an older gal. She was a world class marksman. And she basically was like, step aside to my (laughs) ex-brother-in-law. And she made a couple of tweaks to how I was standing and how I was holding the gun and like my shoulder position it made a world of difference. Like all of a sudden oh, I could, yeah. I had more control over what I was doing. Yeah. It, it's really, so you, the fact that you got to go out and have oh. Torna, like show you exactly how to do it is. Torna, be able to Torna is already like, and I felt like he, he, he was more than just like showing me what goes on. It was like an actual education I got. And I appreciated that so much. Plus we got to go to a private range where I wasn't like, the noob standing around a bunch of like gunfire and people just like, <laughs> yeah, like on their game, you know, or in their element. Like I got to be alone and just experience that like in a, in a secluded place, like quiet place out in the Valley there. And, uh, nice. man, it was super satisfying. I, I did learn, I didn't even know this was a thing, but I learned that I'm right eyed as well as right handed. So that's fun. Oh, Mm-hmm. Right-handed and left-eyed. Yeah. Interesting. So I have to tilt my head slightly to line my left eye down the the sights. Oh wow! I've never thought about that. Everyone's a little different, right? I got a shout he- out. This is, I got a shout out Zach though, because uh, Zach, 
thank you for teaching me in handgun one as well as concealed carry course because I've been able to practice and now I can teach hitting. So there you I, go. I, I uh, pretty much learned everything from Zach. So shout out to Zach. He listens. <laughs> yes, it was a fantastic experience. Kat, you should go shooting with Torna one day. I want to. Have a fun. good time. And we got to shoot the lever action, which is always just a blast. Gotta, I love, gotta I love get that thing oiled up or working. It kept, I, it wasn't jamming, but I don't know what. No. Uh, oh, yeah, on. the AR. My AR. Oh, not the lever. Uh, yeah, the AR. Was firing one round at a time, and it wasn't uh, cycling the next round. So I need to bench it, clean it, and then see if it's a, a, a gassing issue. I don't think that the bolt is putting out enough force to... Mm-hmm to um load the next bullet in the magazine so i got to play around with that and figure out what's going on there right so we, we only shot the ar a little bit but man but that that lever action packs a freaking punch dude yes so fun good yes good work <laughs> it's usually over there <laughs> pulverized my shoulder a bit that was a good experience <laughs> So, I had some thoughts from last week's episode. Definitely. Oh, yes, please. If I may share. Of course. Oh, before we dive into that, though. Yes. Oh, yes, of course. What are we drinking? Yes. The beverage. What are we drinking? What are we drinking? That's a good question. (laughs) Because I just threw together some stuff. This is a Stephen made up drink. Mmm. Some sort of. It's a Torna. It's a Torna. It's some sort of spritzer of sorts. So what I ended up doing was uh, just putting two ounces of gin. No, I'm sorry. Two and a half ounces of gin, half an ounce of dry vermouth in a mixing glass. I muddled thyme, basil, and mint as well. Um, And then I took some canned peaches from Costco and I threw canned peaches in there and a little bit of the peach syrup from the can wow. to sweeten it. And then, like I said, I muddled it, stirred it, threw it in a tall glass with tons of ice, threw some more peach slices in there, topped it off with some club soda. It's like a, yeah, an herbal peach gin spritzer. Yeah. <laughs> it's that quite refreshing. Fun. Don't know how I'm going to title this episode because I don't know what this drink's called. <laughs> peach <laughs> spritzer. Peach spritzer. There you go. <laughs> it's tasty delightful quick recipe check torna how do you build a margarita okay uh i'm gonna go like on the rock style margarita you can do other stuff for like a blended one or whatever let's do on the rocks yeah so what i would do is what is the ratio for a marg uh i want to say it's two ounces of tequila three quarters an ounce of lemon juice and Half an ounce of agave nectar? Lemon juice. Lime juice, sorry. Lime juice. Lime this juice. is where limes shine, yeah. Yes, Hennig. yes. Three Hell quarters yeah, an ounce my of dude. lime. Yes, Like lime. half an ounce of agave or sugar or whatever you want to sweeten your drink with. And then you can add whatever you want after that. You want to add spice. You can do jalapenos or mm, habaneros. Whoa. You can do other fruit. You could do mango strawberries sage sage if you want to add some herbal touches all right you could what about, even probably add a little cilantro 
What about like delicious. three quarters of an ounce to one ounce of triple sec? That's what I was finding online. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's uh, yeah, and there's always triple sec. I just totally forgot. Oh, about there that is ingredient. always okay. That's yep. good. I'm glad. I usually end up cutting the triple sec with a little bit of agave, but oh yeah, yeah. It's sweetened with the triple sec. Totally forgot okay. about that. That you works. You can make what's called a skinny margarita, which basically just has a lot less sugar, and nice. it's mostly just like I think. Um, Tequila. Tequila. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's mostly just tequila and lime. Yeah. And maybe soda water? Maybe? Mm, maybe, yeah. Like oh. or something. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah. So we made margaritas for my wife's birthday um this past weekend. And I literally like I went to four different liquor stores in Billings and everyone was out of triple sec. I have to guess a bunch of people were making margs. For Fourth of July, that's my only guess. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Um, so I settled for like, uh, what did I get as a substitute? I forget the fancy name for it. Just orange liqueur. Um, I found yeah. So triple sec that, that's you can get you can acceptable. get triple sec for pretty cheap, which is nice. But um, they also have oh, what are the other orange ones? You've got dry uh, Caracal, um, or uh, I guess that's the main one. I saw another one. I, I'm blanking on the name. It was like Contro or something. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Yep. Contro is another orange one. Oh, nice. Perfect. That's what I ended <laughs> up getting. So Nice. Yeah. I, delicious. I, I made a decent marg. I think it wasn't nearly as sweet as I was expecting, and I think that's just because I didn't have like simple syrup or mm-hmm. agave or anything. I literally, like, we made them with tequila, Contro, and lime juice. Hey, so they were pretty stiff. Did you enjoy they them? were pretty powerful, but they were <laughs> what delicious. Was, what's the um the float people would do on top of a margarita? Like if you're at a Mexican restaurant, you can get like the premium margarita. No idea. And what they that is. there's a liqueur that they pour what? on top. Yeah, that's oh. like dark. Oh, I'm gonna have to look this up. That okay, sounds this, okay. I've never had this. This sounds delicious. Okay, fair enough. Uh, what are you doing after we record? Uh, eating food. We're going to go to Nina's. That's where I'm going. Oh, really? To get Marg's and maybe some tacos if you want to come. I could do a taco. All right. <laughs> We're talking Marg's. Okay, so they call it a Cadillac Margarita Grand Marnier. Ah, uh, yes. That's a mixture of like generally control, I think, and brandy. It's kind of a weird. Uh, oh. Yeah. It's deli- is it a nice. delicious drink? Yeah, and you really do nice. just literally like a dash, oh. like a flow of it on the top, and it adds a little bit of color. I'm like very Cadillac into it. margarita. I'd nice. give that that's a, a shit. Cadillac. I'd give that. That's a shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Kat, so your thoughts delicious. on last uh, episode? Yeah, what are you? What are you thinking? Yeah, well, so one, I really enjoyed listening back to the episode almost as much as I enjoyed recording it um me too but towards the very very end i realized i think i know i was not confused by but wasn't thinking clearly about what you were asking henning and we can blame it on the alcohol but i was (laughs) it was was also almost midnight right yeah Yeah, and we've been talking for a while but i was listening back to it and i was like i why are you not saying this to myself? You know? So anyways. Oh, I love um, that feeling. So one of, yeah, right. It's terrible. Um, but, 
But I think part of what you were asking was like, how can the self-interest of the individual be the same as thinking like how can you act in your own self-interest but then act in a way that's benefits others or it's in others interests right and do that and at the same time achieve the same benefits for the shareholder the consumer Mm -hmm. whatever that you would if you were acting in your own self-interest Am I am I right? And that was part of what you were getting at towards yes, the end. Yes, you've you've yeah. perfectly summarized my question. Okay, well, sorry. <laughs> and so, anyway, my after thinking about it more, I, um, I think what I, my thought is that like the self interest of the individual, um, and 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 the idea of making decisions based on the needs of others can be one in the same because you know when you're individuals basically are free to make moral decisions within capitalism and those moral decisions can benefit others or they can benefit society at large but the decision comes down to the individual Mm -hmm. it's not something that's necessarily built into the system quote unquote but it's a matter of individual oh, choice. Okay. And I okay. And I think I think if there if we're talking about whether capitalism is moral, which was kind of something we were a theme we were kind of beating around, I think. Um I think the fact that that responsibility falls to the individual within a capitalist system is the most moral approach you could have. Yeah. Because if you're coercing people to do what's quote unquote good right. for society. In my view, that sort of that takes the morality out of it, right? Because mm. you're not making a choice to do what's right. Exactly, you're just being exactly. forced to. And, and then th- there's a question of how do you determine what's actually right? And mm-hmm. the government typically can't make right. a body of bureaucrats can't make that decision for a population of billions of people, right? So like that's not an efficient way to determine what is best for people. But Regardless of that, if you're being forced to do something that's quote unquote right, you're sort of taking any like moral distinction or motivation mm-hmm. out of the equation mm, yeah. at that point. I, okay, I, I so clearly see where things were breaking down in my head. So give me a couple minutes to get there. So I think what you're highlighting very well is that, um, the the truest form of morality we would we believe comes from the individual rather than some form of collective or some form of like top down coercion and i think we're pulling that principle from something like what nietzsche said like the line between good and evil runs within every human heart right right so what what I hear when I hear self-interest, I think I may be getting it confused with selfishness. And I think there's a way to possibly mm. nuance those two terms to help me, yeah. right, like, b- believe in self-interest as more than just selfishness. Because I guess when I hear right. self-interest, very often um, the, the the framework, like, established in my brain at this point associates self-interest with something like Hobbes's 
belief that humans are like nasty, brutish, and like will lead short lives, and therefore they will only like seek to protect themselves, right? Or like be in like warish competition in order to win over their neighbors, mm-hmm. right. right? So that's what I've paired, and I think you're highlighting very well that I have incorrectly or like, uh, yeah, I guess incorrectly paired those when those should not be like synonymous concepts. Does that sound fair? That sounds very fair. Yeah. Um, another thought that I, that when thinking about this kind of led down this rabbit hole in my mind, um, and this is more of like a philosophical thought, but some anthropologists suggest that even when an individual is acting selflessly, that that act of selflessness is actually driven by their self-interest. Um, because as soon as they've, they choose that act of selflessness, what they've done is they've determined that the benefit of feeling good about that act outweighs whatever yes. costs there may be associated yes. with it. So you could argue that like if you drill down deep enough, even our selfless behavior is driven by self-interest. So like maybe there is no such thing as selflessness. And, and I don't that, know if and, I I don't know if I stand by that, but, but like but maybe it's an interesting thought. But maybe if it's always something that's only to be reached for and not completely grasped, that's why it's prized as like the foundation of many, many religions. As like something because that, it's not attainable, right? But it, but it's always something to have at the forefront of your mind and to strive for, mm. even even if you have unconscious motivation to like, I will feel good when I donate a thousand dollars to my favorite charity that helps solve X problem in my city, right? Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, I can appreciate that a lot. I like that a lot. Thank you for so if bringing this up. Yeah. So if that's a thought, then, you know, then operating out of self-interest is like absolutely leads to good often. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And this is a point, the point that you brought up last week as well as uh, what Henning had mentioned last week, I think tie in well, you had said capitalism isn't like necessarily just some made up kind of system. system. It's actually kind of an extension of what is human nature. Or how humans behave just in a market or physical sense versus some other biological mm-hmm. expression. And then that leads me to think that capitalism, unlike what a lot of people say as far as it's the ultimate good or it's the ultimate bad, is really a very amoral thing. Exactly. And it's all about how you are using it, right? And then this ties into what Henning had mentioned about how a lot of times you see employers that they've got a business and their concern consistently, the stories are consistent that they'll be paying out of their pocket. They'll go into debt to make sure that their employees get paid to keep the business afloat. And that is an act of selflessness, but at the same time, an act of self-interest, like earning the loyalty and keeping your employees with you and rooting for you is very important. And so those things can can be at the same time the same or they can be in action at the same time same thing with whether it's family or friends or, or whatever it is i mean there's a 
self-interest level of whether it's maintaining your friendship or, you know, taking care of somebody or whatever it is that you, you reap a benefit from it. But there's also on paper some sort of negative or some sort of cost associated with it. And so they're not mutually exclusive. I think you're spot on in saying that like, building on the thought that capitalism isn't necessarily a system to be imposed, but rather it's like this, it's, it's simply an articulation of kind of, of like human nature and how we interact with each other when we trade. And I think you're right in saying that, that, that it's sort of like morally neutral. I think if you look at different, uh, I want to say systems, but I just said capitalism isn't necessarily a system to be imposed, but looking at different like economic structures or how societies structure their economies, a free market capitalist system or uh, <laughs> structure or whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> tripping myself up here. But anyways, but, but, but a free market system is one that allows for individual choice. And I think that's where you can you can um, uh, make kind of a moral, you can attribute some kind of moral value there, right? Because it's, it's, people aren't coerced into certain behavior and they can act on their own free will and mm -hmm. they can act in a virtuous moral way if they so choose. And in other systems that are command and control, that option is taken from them. So anyway, so that's where I think it can be deemed moral. Yeah. So those are my thoughts from last week. That's very good. <laughs> I Sweet. just thought it was good worth, thoughts. worth raising. Worth revisiting. Loved it. Thank you for that. Now, I have a hot take. And I've thought a long time about how I want to phrase this. And this is what I've decided on. Kentucky bluegrass is the most subsidized <laughs> species of living being on the planet. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Yep. Um, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with this idea lately, but I think that the like the status symbol of the American lawn is truly absurd. <laughs> I told my dad that we were going to be talking about this and I told him what I thought and he was like, you need to change that thinking right now. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but anyway. It's like a dad thing. It's a total dad thing. <laughs> I think it's mostly because all our dads are so deep into having a lawn that like they can't just, they can't just neglect it, right? Right. They're in too deep. They've yeah. Gotta just, It'd be a nightmare. Yeah, but, they just got to okay. go with it. <laughs> Getting straight into it. Do we, I mean, I think the three of us are pretty anti-lawn from what yeah. we teased I when I was there in Bozeman. So do you think it's like a generational value thing? Do you think like over the next, hmm. what, 50 years that the American lawn will die or... I don't know, because we mentioned we all mention our dads like, oh, my dad really wants me to change my thinking because it's it's something <laughs> he takes pride in, you know, but I, the three well, of I think us because my dad fuck. associates it with like. 
people who he doesn't agree with politically. So he doesn't like that stance. No. <laughs> I think that's what it goes down to for him. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. He's letting a lot of his lawn recede, actually. And he's just like placing giant boulders that he collects there instead. But <laughs> that, oh, okay. That is certainly a landscaping choice you can make. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I think, um, yeah, I do. I actually do think that the quintessential American lawn will fade from our culture eventually. Mm-hmm. I think one. Well, let me let me think about this. How many points do I think there is to this? I think there's three. There's three situations. There's the first situation, which is the lawn will have to be gone away with in certain areas just in the United States due to the demands of water that it requires. Mm-hmm. There are just places. Yep. Thank you. In certain areas of the country on the West Coast. My home. <laughs> that aren't able to sustain that. Right. Or almonds, but that's another story. <laughs> um, then there's the areas where they will probably always persist in some form because water's available, water's cheap, people like it, that's great. You want a lawn, that's great. And then the third is probably like, you know, there's just the people that already don't really have lawns because they refuse to take care of them. Like, they buy a house, it has a lawn, and they're like, they don't have the mindset of taking care of their house. Right. Renters. Often. I, yeah, often. Hey, I, my, my garden's <laughs> yeah. beautiful, but, yeah, and I'm yeah. a renter, but yeah, yeah. but often. But yeah, stuff. often. Yeah. But how many times have we said that you are not the average renter? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm pretty enough. sure people on my street think I own the house. Land- landlords would be lucky manicuring everything. to sign your lease. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's right. So, oh gosh, I I like these these headers that you've provided for us, Torna, in the outline. Let's talk about water first. Do we have so like I was doing some research. I don't know if you guys listened to that Freakonomics episode I sent you today. Oh no, not yet. I would sadly I did not have time. One hundred percent recommend that you two listen to it but also everyone listening to the whiskey bench right now should go listen to it we'll put a link in the show notes because it's that good but i found out that in america in a i think it was like a 2017 study that um americans collectively spend 60 billion dollars a year on lawn care Mm. i found out that americans use 20 trillion gallons in their lawn care every year which it's an- I don't have a metric for that. I don't know how much water that is. Well, so yeah, I mean like trillion is just a stupid number. In arid <laughs> in arid conditions such as California, Utah, Nevada, Montana, Idaho, mm-hmm. you know, like high desert places even like eastern Washington are considered arid spots in our country that mm-hmm. yeah. you know, some places are like of course you're going to find a suburban neighborhood with like perfectly manicured lawns right um in these arid areas of the country americans per square foot of grass they will use 37 gallons of water a year Mm, okay i know what 37 gallons looks like and what a square foot is and there's a metric for you yes per (laughs) per square foot of your yard that's insane and we know that in urban places of course there's not as many lawns because the the buildings just get higher, but in suburbia, 
lawns are only getting bigger. And that's a trend yep. of like 20 or 30 Is years right? now. Yes. Um, huh. So that's insane. You're seeing a lot more lots. Well, it depends. But I feel like lot sizes are getting smaller in new developments. Depends where you're at. Huh. I'm thinking of a lot of like the, even the one acre lots. There's a lot of one acre plots, which is a lot because most houses are on like quarter acres. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of grass. And of course, consider like there's huh. there's probably yeah. like a two or three car garage somewhere and a driveway. So like some of that square footage is taken, of course, even right. by the foundation of the house. But that's still a lot well, of grass. All of our, in all of our natural spaces that mm-hmm. we that like thankfully cities will thoughtfully put in to sort of break up the mm-hmm. monotony of shopping malls and housing developments. But they often just put a lawn in. Mm hmm. Like all of our dog parks are just giant lawns. Right. Just bare grass. And a lot of them, because yeah. a lot of them are still new development because we're developing way faster than trees can grow. Like the trees they have are right. like set up on their little support fence posts, right? With uh, like twine, like baling twine or wire holding them up right now. And like they're yep. all fenced off right. and we can't enjoy shade. We don't enjoy like sitting against a tree even. And we also, I mean, depending where you're at, I mean, Montana is a great example of pretty slow growing um for trees really slow here trees will obviously have you know massive jump years where they grow a ton but at least starting out it's pretty slow for those poor little boogers yeah and they also take a ton of water especially if you're planting like typical park area trees that aren't necessarily like native to the place you're trying to grow them I think that's right. that's one of my main beeves and why my hot take is that Kentucky bluegrass is the most subsidized like being on the planet is because like this species of grass it, like evolved to thrive in a climate like Scotland or Ireland and somehow like we're trying to force it to live in you know <laughs> in places that hit like 120 degrees in Arizona yeah, on the regular silly. you know why is it subsidized though? I think I think it's truly like a status symbol thing. I sub, okay. subsidize is not goofy. Subsidized. It's the not like government subsidies. That's, yeah, it's it like human beings we are doing so much work to try and prop up this species of plant. Oh, to make it viable yeah, in places. Yeah, it's not government right, subsidies. Exactly. It's just got my it, goofy it, way it. of saying like we pay a dick ton of money to keep a species of grass yeah. that should not live on this much of the planet alive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I just think that it, I think it really is a status symbol thing, which gets so, I, I'm just so confused by that. I don't even know if it's a status symbol as much as it's just so deeply ingrained in our culture. I don't just know an if expectation people even think thing? about it. Yeah. I, you just have a lawn. Hmm. Yeah. That's part of your yard. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. I feel like that, and, that mean, does guess... become status symbol of like there's there's a measure of success that either you feel when like you sit on the front porch and look at your lawn after you mow it and you're drinking a glass of lemonade or whatever. But but it's also a pride thing with your neighbors. Last night. Yeah. Looked good. Yeah. Felt good. Right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. And I don't want to take that away from you. I don't want to take that away from you, that satisfaction. I mean, like, I know for a fact that Alex Falcongrove very regularly listens to us on Saturdays while he does yard work. 
that's just his oh, ritual. That's, right. he said that. that's right. his whiskey bench mm-hmm. ritual. And I don't really want to take that away from him, but I kind of do because I think lawns are bullshit. <laughs> well, there's other yard work to be done. True. But- there's many forms of landscaping. Yes. Um, there are all sorts of like theories about lawns. Like I've, I've only just heard recently about like the concept of a freedom lawn or like it's called xenoscaping, X-E-N-I scaping. I don't really know the definition of that, but like I've been looking into like alternative ways of maintaining the property that we buy when we buy homes. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really into it. There's a guy in this Freakonomics episode who kept like super detailed logs. Logs. He decided to transform his front yard into just like it's all garden space other than his walkway up to his front door. He planted yep. sweet potatoes in his front lawn and in one season he grew enough sweet potatoes and sold them at the local farmer's market and he made (laughs) $36,000 Jesus yeah right like and people can do that but here's the thing is that not only is it like maybe a social contract thing like an unspoken status symbol something to feel proud in or proud of but it's also something where like Local governments get in on all sorts of really weird ordinances, and yeah, like or HOAs. HOAs, like HOAs are literally Nazis. I, I we should dismantle HOAs. Hot take. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good Lord, because there's a lot of HOAs that I guarantee would not let you plant a garden in your front yard. No. No, absolutely. My sister is ruled by an HOA. Yeah. And they're always hassling her about her lawn, and yeah. she's like, "Man." I'm newly divorced and hustling and I don't have time to take care of my lawn all the time. And she wants to rip her lawn out. Yeah. She's anti-lawn too. Right. What are they going to do? Uh, find her. Yeah. Hike your fees. Hike your monthly yeah. dues. <laughs> like pester her yeah. until she like moves. The HOA tax is going to go up. Yeah. I mean, that's, they that's certainly a thing. Like we, we've all heard the, the scary stories or watched. What is it? That movie, um, over the hedge where that woman is walking mm-hmm. around with a ruler and like sticking it into people's grass to make sure it's not like <laughs> seen that, but that's it's not like measuring, measuring the length of the yeah, grass. Like half an inch too long. Yeah, exactly. Um, like of course that exists too. And it just so clearly <laughs> seems like an example of like, why the hell it does the, why did, okay. There's a little bit of like, I can understand why an HOA exists. Like when you buy a house and you agree to HOA fees, it's kind of a social contract you do sign up for. Like there, there of course, there are going to be things that you have a problem with. Look, I get it into it to the extent that you have maybe a developer and he says, well, some of the HOAs around here, it's like, well, you can't have any metal in your house. But you know, they're like, OK, we don't allow pink houses or, <laughs> you know, things like that because they're going for a certain design in their in their planning. Yeah, right maybe maybe but Hmm. if you choose to live close enough where you can see your neighbor's pink house yeah okay deal with it so there is the hoa (laughs) that like wants to keep a uniform look or something like that and of course there's like the crazy anal retentive versions of like the hoa presidents that take rulers out on their morning walk um i don't understand why like why local governments would ever make a rule about it, if not to in possibly a good faith attempt to like help the community protect their own property values. Cause that's the other thing I'm thinking about is the relationship of 
like if the three of us lived on the same block, like just three houses mm-hmm. in a row, we're on the same street. I'm in the middle. I decide to go freedom lawn or plant, you know, however many pounds of sweet potatoes it takes me to make over 30 <laughs> grand a year. Um, the problem with like even the real estate market is that because that might be considered an eyesore compared to neighboring homes, like your property value might go down when you try to go sell your house. It is true. Because of my choice on my property. Yeah. But that's the environment that we're, you know, if I'm trying to sell my house and no one wants to buy it because they don't want to look at your damn sweet potatoes. That's mostly because you're in suburbia. Well, yeah, and because yeah. the lawn Entirely. is the status but, symbol. But like that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's look the environment stupid, we're living in. Yeah, I don't want to look at your stupid green bean trellises. I want to look at grass yeah. that is identical to mine. You know. But so I think that this, uh, to some degree, this is like a, a subjective aesthetic question that's ingrained in our culture. And to your first question, Henning, I absolutely think that that trend is changing. I'm so glad. I'm so glad more and more people are realizing one because of the harsh reality of water scarcity, especially in the West. People are realizing like, OK, oh, my this gosh, doesn't really make yeah, you want to talk about our extreme drought conditions right now in Montana. Yeah. Right. Like Helena is right. under water use restrictions right now. Are they really? Yep. I hadn't heard they that. They have been for about a week. I knew that we declared an emergency, but I didn't know that we that there were actual restrictions in place. Yeah. And the USDA just uh announced a state of emergency for like 10 Montana counties to help farmers in those areas in Montana. Yeah. Right. So like, Um, yeah, we have drought conditions. We get those fairly regularly, like on a, on a pretty good, like decade cycle, maybe. For sure. Well, that's like Cal. You look at a place like California, California historically has 200 year long droughts, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, 150 years, 200 years, 250 years. Like that's a natural part of this, the, the cycle there. Um, and human beings move in and establish a community during one of those windows where there isn't drought. Mm -hmm. And then they insist on somehow freezing and keeping the climate and the environment exactly how they found it, even though it's constantly changing, right? Right. And and I think that more and more people are starting to realize that and realize that, like, having, you know, spending hundreds of gallons, that's not the right amount, <laughs> probably. <laughs> what would it even be? I, I wish I had the statistic, but probably millions i would guess we also flush about two-thirds of the water resources in california back down into the bay um to support salmon runs but also the delta smelt um he who dealt it smelt it um anyway so like that's something worth considering in terms of water scarcity literally don't even know what a delta smelt looks like it's a tiny little fish. But anyway, people are also realizing, like, we probably don't need to be wasting millions of gallons of water on on lawns. And it's not just personal lawns. It's also, like, think of all of the... I mean, you drive around Bozeman, all of the greenest lawns are in front of, like, Rose Hours, the grocery store, 
right? Mm -hmm. Or like a government building. So it's more like, I mean, which I guess there's an incentive for those businesses to look nice and pretty and for the government buildings to look nice and pretty. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back to our conversation. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts. There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. And thanks to Highline Media Network for having us as a founding podcast. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, Ravel. I feel like some Christians are guilty of doing like a demon of the gaps. Kind of like God of the gaps, if you will. I'm so you know glad what I mean? Just, I know exactly. Like what of you course mean. Christians do that a little bit and like Yeah. That's like the best <laughs> That is the best argument against believing in God. <laughs> it's like if you only believe in God because you're doing God of the gaps. Yeah. That's right. not a great reason. Right. <laughs> um but I feel like Christians are also guilty sometimes of doing a demon of the gaps where you like see something that's inexplicable. And if you like already believe in demons as a part of your worldview, of course you're gonna be like, well, that's probably a demon. And now back to our conversation. So that's that's one thing that that's honestly what kicked off my entire interest in researching this because there is a spot like a just on on a corner on my way to work, leaving my house. Um, the it, like I think I think. At, at this point, I understand, you know, that stupid little strip of green between the sidewalk and the street, right? What is that called? Yeah. The boulevard? Is that what it, I think that's what it is. Um, but the city is responsible for that. I just mow mine because that never seems to get done. Right. Which you probably <laughs> should do. I mean, like that's, that's fine with me, <laughs> but I, I pass a spot where, you know, this, this patch of grass is almost always in the shade. It's like in the shade half the day because there's a building like flush up against the sidewalk and they have like, no joke, probably 10 sprinklers watering this strip of grass. That's maybe like three or four car lengths long. That's almost always in the shade. And two of the sprinklers, the heads have busted off and they're like jetting water, like 15 feet in the air. And this has been happening literally every morning I've gone to work for like two months and the city has not fixed the sprinklers and the sprinklers are still running. And every time I drive past these two, like freaking these fountains outside my bank, I'm just like, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? <laughs> it's just so oh, completely it's really absurd to me. And, um, as far, okay. So there's, of course there's the water question. I think, the the other part of it, I mean, we've mentioned in the past on the Whiskey Bench the uh, the incredible scourge things like lawnmower motors are or like leaf blowers. Mm-hmm. Or so, like you want to talk about like man-made emissions. Let's talk about these stupid tools that we maintain to keep up our stupid lawns. <laughs> yeah. What was your what was your fast fact, Torna? It on? was like a like a oh, Ford F-150 and a leaf a blower. 50. And a leaf blower, you'd have to drive, it was like 200 and something miles in the Raptor to account for 10 minutes of idling a leaf blower. Ridiculous. Mm, right. Okay. So there, there is a question and they discussed this on the Freakonomics episode about like, 
okay, we maintain very green grass, and what we know about very green plants is that they photosynthesize pretty well. And so, mm-hmm. like, there is, like a, like, a carbon impact question that comes in, and on the whole, it seems like the average lawn is more of, like, a positive carbon sink than it is neutral or negative. But what their study didn't really consider, like, they did try to consider things like lawnmowers and leaf blowers and weed whackers and the like hedge trimmers you know there's like 20 different tools that you need to like make a lawn look just so um and but then they also didn't consider like the time it takes for a lawn care team to like drive from their warehouse to the place like we're not accounting for the trucks we're not accounting for like Mm. all that work to haul the equipment it's like and also something to consider too, which I didn't realize, but if you, I learned this recently, that if you, most lawn owners water their lawns so frequently that the roots never get very deep. Mm-hmm. And that's actually better to let your lawn turn a little bit brown because the roots grow deeper and it right. gets hardier, right? right? Mm-hmm. Because brown um, grass is not dead grass. It's just dormant. And that's, and, right. but right, that's right, part right. of the status so, symbol is like, it always has to be perfectly green. And I think part of the benefit, part of what would make, well, what makes plants a good carbon sink is, I think there's a relationship with like their root structure. Mm-hmm. And if it's like a more mature and more deeply rooted plant, mm-hmm. Right, it holds it the, can sink more because it holds the soil so, like, together. Lawns, it's not eroding with wind and with rain and all other sorts. Yeah, of so like if a lawn, so yes, I would imagine that like a green photosynthesizing lawn is a carbon sink to some degree, but like the lawns that we that are common in America that have like shallow roots, probably there's probably a better way. Yeah. To, to sink carbon because anymore like new developments are so heavily sodded you know you're just like trucking in squares of of sod instead of just planting grass in the local soil that even then it takes so it's it takes so long for the sod to integrate into the local environment i get angry about this i don't know why i get so angry about this but i think it's just (laughs) absurd the other thing with all the lawn tools is freaking is noise pollution. Like you want to talk about city ordinance, like most cities have a, a level set of like 55 decibels is acceptable for like in town mm-hmm. noise. And like many, many lawnmowers, weed whackers, all these run at probably like 90, maybe a hundred depending on their horsepower. Like these are freaking loud machines that also emit noise at, Frequencies that like cut through siding, cut through insulation. Lawns are just. For me. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. For me, the water scarcity issue is very like, like that's kind of maybe my number one motivator for not liking lawns. But it's also like a matter of aesthetics in my book. Mm -hmm. And I think people should create a landscape that is appropriate for the environment that they're in. Mm -hmm. So like if you live in an arid environment, you should be planting drought resistant plants Mm -hmm. and like 
have cool gravel paths and like big rock features and mm-hmm. like embrace where you are. Same goes with architecture. Nothing bothers me more than like seeing like an adobe like Pueblo style rancher in like a snowy winter wonderland <laughs> like Bozeman. Like that drives me crazy. Right. You know, it's like you're not in Palm Springs. Right. Like right. But and now this is where <laughs> this, is, this is where this is where an HOA comes in. I don't want anyone tell. I just want people to make better choices. <laughs> that's all I want. And that's well, because the people who manage those developments, I mean, they're hideous. Like my sister is one. They they aren't allowed to have anything other than this like puke gray vinyl fence, <laughs> and it's horrific. Yeah, very sterile. Horrible. <laughs> so this is what I wanted to talk about because, you know. We obviously aren't fans of grass, but I also want to be fair and, you know, I understand how nice it is and how good it is for a community to have nice parks, especially like with soccer fields and things like that. Like those are very good. Keep the, the kids in sports and places where people can go. But like you said, not every park has to be a grass lawn. You know, a dog park could be wild grasses and rocks and natural trees and, you know, yeah, more mellow features. But, you know, the flip side is we're so dependent upon basically trees and grass for landscaping that you see the cities that have horrible planning, no grass whatsoever. Something, I mean, trees, grass, they actually do help with maintaining temperature. Uh, around a city, which as you get bigger, that's a big issue. You could have, you know, somewhere that has trees and grass, you might be looking at 100 degrees, you know, reflecting off of everything combined. Whereas uh, a city like New York, where there might not be any grass, you could be looking at 130 degrees right? reflecting, which is a problem. That makes sense. So there's something there. And then the other thing that I'm thinking of is there is a lot of data that has been collected. I don't know any, anything about it really, but a lot of data that's been collected about basically like urban planning. I don't know what you would even call it. Like the psychology of city planning. And so I do know that there is a lot of information about like what kinds of architecture, whether it's windows or trees or grass like are conducive to making people be happier Mm. and enjoying their spaces. And so it'd be interesting to see what that research and information is saying. And if there's similar results or a push to find results for more of like a natural landscape, Mm. like, is there a way to do it in your natural surrounding flora and fauna that reduces the same effects that you know the last hundred years of psychology has mm-hmm. said is, is effective or yeah. whatever. Hmm. I would think there's a creative way to incorporate native plant species into your city planning. Yeah, I mean like so that would make people feel good about where they live and not be as wasteful. Right. Right. Like a, a month ago I went to the Billings Zoo. I saw the sloth. It's very adorable. I haven't seen the sloth yet. I only mentioned that because like the Billings Zoo teased getting that sloth for maybe three years before it actually arrived. (laughs) 
uh, talking to it's crazy how difficult it is. Yeah, dude. To get animals to yeah, dude. Anyway, I think zoos are terrible. You got to go to the Billing Zoo. It's something else. Okay, so here's something about the Billing Zoo: is that there there is a section that is like um, sponsored by a private family. It's like a memorial garden for like a grandmother that passed away. But what they did is they consulted with like local plant experts. I don't know what their title is, but they consulted with people who know the local flora and fauna. And what they did is they designed this garden that's it's um it's labeled as a no water garden. Like they don't have to water it at all because it's all species mm-hmm. native to Montana that are gorgeous. It's like it's my favorite part of the zoo. It's not green necessarily. It has a lot of dark greens. There's a lot of like succulent like species of like cactus and a, a, a few other grasses and stuff that live in it, but mm-hmm. it requires no water. It literally only requires the amount of water that Montana decides to give it through rainwater every year. And I think it's brilliant. It's my favorite spot of the zoo. And that is absolutely something that we could be considering like in our public spaces, like in the Boulevard area. I mean, like one thing I have thought Torna, especially on like the, uh, the heat reflection of concrete and asphalt is, I mean, like if we would allow trees to like take root and really grow, if we could like keep them, I mean, like, of course they're sandwiched between a road and a sidewalk. So I don't know how much root area they have to grow, but if we could get trees in this area, like I love a neighborhood, a mature neighborhood with huge overhanging trees. There's just something super charming yep. to me about that. And like if we would. Well, north sure. just, well, you've got big trees in your area, but north of you, any of those, uh, ironically enough, all the tree streets off yeah, of. Yeah, uh, dude. Um, yes. Rimrock, beautiful trees. A lot of them have really narrow strips to drive on on each side. And then there's a row and it's like paved over the trees, but just rows of trees down mm-hmm. the middle of these massive oh, 10 foot in diameter trees. And yeah. There's some huge, we saw the a willow in Livingston mm-hmm. that was probably like, I don't even know, like 15 feet around. I mean, it was, just, mm-hmm. it was huge. Been there for probably a century. Yeah. Yep. So. Love an old tree. Yeah. That, and, and that increases your property value. Absolutely. Um, it does. Shade, privacy, wind I block. Love, I love the, the neighborhoods where people um, rip out that grassy the city grass in between the sidewalk and the curb and they plant there in Livingston again on that same mm-hmm. street with that mm-hmm. willow. A gal had planted sunflowers there God. and they were, and they were massive. They'd been there for like several years. So good. Like. I mean, they were taller than me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. There's something I like when things are customized and trying. It would be but- interesting just to see um, the city or cities in general being more open to allowing people to do things with their property and I don't know much about gardening, but I do know as far as if, and it depends, if you are someone that invests time in taking care of your lawn, even if you're not necessarily one that enjoys it, like the amount of time it takes to do some basic gardening is not as much as what some people think, mm-hmm. depending on what you plant. And so you could invest this amount of time you're spending mowing and weed whacking and going to get gasoline and all this stuff 
and probably maintain a cute little garden and actually get some food from it. And, you know, we've got this big backyard and you know how much I would rather just plant a freaking cornfield in the that backyard? That would be awesome. Yeah, grow some beans and squash yeah. and peas yeah, and stuff. exactly. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to, see, to see that. Although growing food's intimidating, and especially in today's it's time. fucking hard in, in Montana. <laughs> and anywhere, there's such a disconnect between where your food comes from in any urban setting. It's like... Well, that's changing too, culturally, thankfully. Yeah, community gardens, rooftop gardens. Farm to table. Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. So like, okay, we're on our libertarian island. Maybe it's not an island because like, I mean, there are ways, different ways to grow on islands, but we're in our libertarian paradise and I, mm-hmm. I'm very okay with like either smaller lots and just like natural grasses, natural, like local plants. I think the, the, the issue with like basically deconverting the modern modern american lawn and just like you can't just let it go because that's where like noxious plants absolutely thrive you know and like weeds would just Mm -hmm. absolutely take over so there's there's a mindful way not all weeds are bad though dandelions get a bad rap the only weed i hate is napweed that it's because it's an invasive non-native yes. species. Sure. Montana sure. absolutely sure. There's like hates concern about that. I, yeah. I gotta, I gotta. There's wait. I gotta interrupt real quick. Uh, the guys that uh, did the stonework on my parents' house, incredible oh, masons. Yeah. Ama- amazing. He's the the one guy. Uh, oh, what's his name? Duff. Duff. Um, he's really into botany and knows a bunch about plants. And he was telling us that he was in Yellowstone driving around, and he saw just like a single napweed that was growing in a field and he jumped out and like was carefully digging it up so he could remove it and he got like a $500 ticket what for digging up plants in the national what? park <laughs> and he was like but but it's it's uh, it's it's an invasive species what <laughs> well they've got a whole like program to get people to try to like not contribute to spreading those that sucks that, that does suck. yeah, this was years and years ago so yeah who knows maybe they've wisened up but uh, yes, so there's a way to like thoughtfully revert to more natural species that doesn't allow like invasive and noxious uh, weeds to take over. Mm-hmm. Of course, we should put some work into that. But like if we were starting our libertarian island from scratch, we have smaller lots. We have natural lawns, maybe front yard gardens. I'm all into making my front yard look like my Stardew Valley farm. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, I like that. too. Um. But I'm honestly okay with the city maintaining more parks in favor of less, like, lawns throughout the neighborhood. Like, if, if there was a nice park that had the green grass that everyone wanted, and the parks were a little closer together, and, like, they truly became, like, a community focal point. I was going to say, if you actually are, instead of, like, everyone that's throwing a barbecue in their backyard, barbecue. if parks actually became more of a public yes. space and people more people we're going and using that space. And I would say that is a worthy investment for expanding whatever it is, parks or building more picnic tables or whatever it is. Like if that space is being used. I'd rather be in my own backyard. Oh, wow. Well, fair enough. (laughs) But I'm not anti-parks. Point moot then. Moving on. Um, (laughs) There you go. What I was. I have an interesting 
Oh, sorry. Well, so what I was going to say is that like, yes, it's city maintained and maybe in that way, it's like literally subsidizing the grass that I'm a little annoyed by. But if our lawns were smaller and the parks were bigger and more like more, there there were just more parks in the area. I, I just think that would be an ideal neighborhood to live in. I think that would be really cool. And it's not like the city isn't spending stupid amounts of water and money on like maintaining like uh, off ramp lawns, you know, between the interstate and the off ramp, you know? (laughs) So like something I learned on Freakonomics uh, this Freakonomics episode is that the average clover leaf in like a major metropolitan city, the average clover leaf is planted with 16 acres of grass just on the, the areas in between the loops and on the outer edges of the loops. So I did the math. So let's say a clover leaf goes in in Spokane, Washington, which of course they have at this point. Okay. Um, is a clover leaf a word for a roundabout? No, a clover leaf is like an on-ramp, like off-ramp. Figure eight. Yeah, it's an on-ramp, off-ramp system oh, of like oh, major I see. Interstates. Gotcha with the loop. I didn't know that's what that yeah, was called, dude. I feel like an ignorant that's pretty slut. cool. <laughs> well, you ignorant. You said slut. it. I yeah. didn't. Isn't that a what? Isn't that a? Isn't that it an office most quote? Most definitely is. So <laughs> okay, let's do a little math here. The city is spending water on a single clover leaf per year. It's sixteen mm-hmm. acres. There's uh. 43,560 square feet in an acre. So take 43,560 mm-hmm. times 16 to get the number of acres, right? Or times 16 to account for how many acres. Now let's take the number where we're spending or using 37 gallons per square foot a year. No, no, don't do the math. I'm doing the math and I'm going to tell you <laughs> that a city is using 25,787,520 gallons of water on a goddamn clover leaf every year. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> That's a problem. That so hurts my heart. Fix that, obviously. Yeah. And we all stop caring right. about our lawns so much. Make them smaller, make them gardens, do whatever you want. And then let the city use all that water and make beautiful parks more populous in our area. And go to the park. That's that's my grand solution. Or like, or like, don't use that water for a public space at all, and just like allow people to flush the toilets more than once a day if they're in a drought hmm. area. Fair. If you're somewhere like L.A., thought. just a thought. Like, get rid of the little lawns, and you know, yeah, you could take you can take that four minute shower today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But Henning, I like your utopian vision. And I think I don't think it's too far off. I think people are realizing that I think the trend is changing and people are realizing that um there's a better there's a better way to landscape and a more I think sustainable way to landscape. And even in my very specific case, like the the market solved my problem for me. I found a townhouse I love. I have the square footage inside that I love. I pay HOA dues to maintain as a small yard out front for the six units that share the building. And we all just pitch in like it gets mowed maybe once a month. And I don't have to spend the like I don't have to spend the 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 money on maintaining my own lawnmower, my own weed whacker. I don't have to spend gas on them. I don't have to spend the time like every week manicuring the stupid thing. Like in my case, my values literally aligned with. I don't care about maintaining my yard, so I will pay a little bit extra to the HOA to maintain it if they want. And 
I do what I want to do. You know, I record podcasts or whatever. Yeah. The other thing is landscaping is a fairly expensive uh, endeavor, but sod itself is pretty expensive. I was that's well, thank you for teeing up this factoid. I've wanted oh, to share all. Okay. All right. But I've next. been ranting too much, so you haven't been able to share it. <laughs> no, no, no. Not at all. There just hasn't been an appropriate Perfect. time. But US <laughs> I don't even know what am I looking at right now. <laughs> US. <laughs> Fucking US. No. Lawn, the lawn industry, I guess. Is this what we're talking about? Lawn care, excuse me. Yeah. Lawn care industry. 77 billion in revenue mm-hmm. in 2016. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, though, people are, you know, I know a lot of people that have had very, very successful lawn care businesses. The median revenue for a landscaping business as of 2014. Two hundred seventeen thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. It's pretty easy for a uh, revenue though. custom That's actually house. Not very much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, when you think, I mean, it's, there's some landscape landscaping companies that it's like two man operation. Yeah, that are yeah, doing some enough. little stuff. Right. So the fact that that's yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. All averaged out is pretty good. Um, okay, so. Uh, uh, a there's an <laughs> oh. industry of course there's an industry built around it and i can imagine someone being like think of all those jobs you're killing whatever there's other yeah. jobs that'll i'm pop not up. i'm not well, hearing the thing <laughs> is if you're replacing it with a different style of landscaping it's not right. like we're getting rid of True. landscaping. yeah we're not going like complete concrete jungle like that's not what i'm ad- advocating for at all um yeah but yeah like i don't hear the lamplighter union all up in arm, you know, like that job just disappeared because we had better technology. And I think there's a better technology to maintain yeah. the property we buy. Rebate. Right. And I think, I think honestly, right. the numbers reflected in the amount of revenue that industry pulls in is reflective of the fact that individual homeowners aren't willing to do the fucking work themselves. So the market value on hiring a landscape company to come mow their lawn goes up and these paper uh, yeah they're making money but they're just feeling a need because like so many people the individual landowners like they also don't value the time to maintain it themselves and they're just going to throw money at it you know like the price is reflective of like the market they've created and if you're going to spend a lot of money on maintaining it maybe consider why you're going to spend a lot of money on buying a five acre lot for your house in the first place. Fair enough. I mean, you're talking to the guy that wants like, you know, a 10,000 acre ranch at Ugh. some point, but yeah, much different, my friend, but, much different. Know, all but nice. It's not going to be all blue grass. Not a weed in nope. sight. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want every tree, every plant, every rock out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Just rolling green. Now, yeah. I want to be able to see this from space. Henning's <laughs> <laughs> worst nightmare. <laughs> this this is purgatory or maybe hell. You're stuck and just for hundreds of miles in every direction is just Kentucky bluegrass. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Now, I don't want to dismantle like the sod and lawn care 
industries. Well, like Torna said, like landscaping. But if there's a natural shift away from it, and it's not going away either. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't want the government to come in and be like, no more lawns. No, of course that's not. I'm just saying. I'm saying the biggest thing is straw man. The the biggest thing I think (laughs) we're getting at is I don't think a lot of people even necessarily think about not having a lawn. Mm. It's like right. you just you live in town, you have a house, therefore you have right. a lawn. Normalize not having a lawn. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, maybe think about it. Like, what would it be like if I didn't have a lawn and had other plants around my house or other, you know, whatever. And if you maybe maybe if you have a dog, you want a little patch for them to, you know, mm-hmm. poop on the ground and my sister but also you could just take them to the park. Is anti lawn, but she insists that that kids need lawns. She has children. I might. That's. I mean, it's. I. Okay. So here's something that I did <laughs> mention before, or didn't mention yet. There is something uh, unusually visceral about like taking children. your shoes and socks <laughs> off and like walking around in like perfect grass. Especially if it's recently been watered and yeah, it's feel, hot out. it feels nice. Yeah, it feels nice, right? So there's, I could see how, like, it'd be nice for kiddos to run around or anything like that. But, like, make your kids put shoes on. They can run around in the dirt. Also, right? I don't want to take that away no, from no, your we, nieces and nephews, Cap. But what I do want to say is you can have the exact same experience of the sublime glass. Grass. Not, not glass. Don't walk barefoot in glass. <laughs> don't. Um, Send your children out yeah, on broken you can glass. have the same experience. <laughs> At a public park with the same grass, mm-hmm. you know, like send send I mean, them to the park. That is a perfectly reasonable yeah. alternative. Depending on where you live. Fair. Thank you. Where I grew up, it'd be like meth dealers. Very fair. This is something we have to consider with our, <laughs> our perfect. And I, I actually lived in a relatively like a nice neighborhood, but there are certain parks. I'm all about free range okay. kiddos. So. Yo, agreed. Yo. I'm doing some work for a family. She says without a polio vaccine. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm free range. Yeah, they've got six kids and they're definitely free range kids. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Hell yeah, It's great. Well, that's what I told my sister. I was like, she was teasing me. She was like, you're going to have your kids like, they'll have like a pen in the corner of the yard that has like a little patch of lawn that they're allowed to be right on. Now. And I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's how it'll work out. I think they'll, they'll just be hardier. The thing is, is around here too, it's like you, there's these beautiful ground coverage, you know, these low. Incredible ground, like natural ground coverage. Very soft, almost yeah. spongy, like mossy kind of. Yeah. Not so much here, but like more towards like Red Lodge and Gallatin Way, there's plenty of covers like that. But there's actually like, um, what is another one that grows like Pussy Willow? <laughs> I think it's Pussy Willow. Um, you or, child. You know, just Are you these giggling nice, at Pussy small, Willow? Low, I am. I'm sorry. I don't know why. Sorry. I actually think it's a tree. There's a little ground covering anyway. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Pussy Willow's a tree. Yeah. They're low to the ground. They're pretty soft and it, it fills the space. It, it keeps your soil together. Totally. There are beautiful grasses too. I wish the I... The other thing is like, I do you have to here. be able to walk on every square inch of your property? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Like, you know, I like junipers a lot. You can't walk on them. They're sharp. They're kind of ouchy. I hate touching them. Junipers look great. They'll poke you, but they look nice. Yeah, totally. Get some nice paths and everything else is a jungle. That's why I really appreciate Mm -hmm. like a lot of the really beautiful botanical gardens and things like that because it's like pretty much really nicely displayed 
trees and flowers and not a lot of grass. Paths, beautiful raised beds. Gravel path, a gravel path of raised beds and like yes. perfectly placed manicured mm-hmm. trees. Yep. And big decorative grasses are fabulous. Yeah. So yeah. The, it's here are like thing. so I many also, alternatives to the lawn. I think we should all move that direction. Mm-hmm. The lawn is obsolete. Yeah. And if you want your kids to be able to run around and, you know, not get hurt, put in a little playpen with like that recycled rubber. Yeah, like the, oh, fuck the, that. the Wait, rubber are you pellets. Like, fo- like football you know, field my turf. my kids are going to have a hard time <laughs> in my house. <laughs> Oh, oh! They're gonna be playing baseball in the dirt, and when they're they're like, "Oh, we're gonna we want to be able to slide to home base." I'm like, "Well, you gonna cut your legs?" Maybe I'll just have like a separate corner of the property that's like the children's corner, mm. maybe. and then they won't mess up my house and my oh <laughs> oh right right right. Yard. Be like, "Hey, kids, if you want a lawn, then you take care of it and you mow it and you weed whack it." <laughs> yeah, because that yeah. that. I don't know. That always like, works. And you can live in a house without any beautiful decorative things yeah. that you might break. Well, if you're eight, you're old <laughs> enough to mow. I agree. I started mowing yeah. when I was eight. Yeah, I think that was probably about when I first started. I think my lawn was. Weed like- whackers are a little <laughs> bit. They can be a little bit dangerous. I used a weed whacker for the first time a couple days nice. ago. It's kind of fun, eh? It was fun. I kept, they work great. I kept getting it too well because I couldn't. <laughs> I didn't have access to a lawnmower that day. Uh, I was going to borrow one from my friend Sarah, who lent me the weed whacker. Oh. but it broke literally as we were loading it into my truck. Damn. And so then, I was like, "I'm just going to whack the whole lawn." So I yeah. just went to town and whacked away and got a little too close and tore up a couple uh-huh. chunks. But it was good. Wow. It helped. Last time I was in Kat's backyard and I brought the mower over to her house, it was like probably 10 inches. Shut up. It was really (laughs) Well, and then you'll laugh. So so I finally, initially, at the beginning of the season, borrowed Torna's lawnmower and addressed this lawn that was out of control. Which, to my defense, as soon as the sun is out and the snow is gone, shit grows so fast here. Yeah. Like, and then it stops. Like, now it's at a point where, like, I won't need to mow my lawn for several weeks after mowing it yesterday. But initially in spring, it grows like crazy. So it was totally out of control. I stall. I kept stalling his lawnmower because <laughs> the grass was too high and I was nervous about that. But anyway, I couldn't get to the very edges of the property. Mm-hmm. So I just was like, fuck it. I'll let that stuff get really tall and it'll be like turned into like a hedge kind of. And sure. My landlord, who I don't believe listens to this, Pele, if you do, hello. And I'm grateful to live in your property. Uh, but. She must have not been keen on the tall. My yard looks great, but from her perspective, it butts up to her rental property and Mm -hmm. the fence is low. And I can imagine she probably it kind of looks bad from her side. So um, she told me that she actually has a lawnmower and a weed whacker that she keeps in the house next to where I live that I can now use. Oh, so you don't need to borrow my, I was just going to no. ask if you need to borrow my number. Thank you for all oh. your generosity. Oh, okay. but no, now it's it's there and I think I could have been using it the whole time. But anyway. Well, there you go. Now I know. Um, See, you leave your problems uh, alone long enough they'll solve themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how I treat my health care too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It'll heal. But anyways, so now I can finally address it but it's been a, it's been a journey. And taking care of my lawn this year, I've realized this made me hate lawns because it always yeah. grows where you don't want it to grow. Constantly uh-huh. pulling it out of my vegetable bed. 
and my flower bed. Mm. Could do without. Yeah. Preach. Yep. I. This was I more could, of just I, like I, a in honor could, of Alex lawns. Not for yes. me. Yes. <laughs> that's the conclusion. Of course, <laughs> that's where we end. So, lawns. Not, not for us. Not, not for, for us. us. On the whiskey bench. It gets a big old fat whiskey bench Thumbs stamp of unapproval. Down. <laughs> Low approval ratings of the lawn. Cheers, oh, friends. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on the whiskey bench. If you would do us a favor, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Whiskey Bench Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember, always drink responsibly. And cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty. Stephen, what do you think Ravel is about? I think Ravel is a podcast about how to effectively market our cult. No, no, no. Ravel is a show that shares the basics on how to get into the afterlife in three easy steps. Okay, okay, cut it out, you guys. Ravel is really about why SpongeBob SquarePants is the best story for teaching atonement theories. But how will your belief in God's atonement change when we prove that aliens exist? I mean, it would probably cause an even greater number of spiritual emergencies in the church. Or maybe everyone is just going to conclude that aliens are demons because we can't explain them. If you are thinking about all of these questions too, come have a drink with us. Follow Ravel wherever you get your podcasts. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.